across the UK, Overnights with Martin Kellner. There is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's suddenly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico And that's where we're going now to uh, Campeche in Mexico. And uh, we say a very good evening to John Bonfilio. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. No problem, Martin. I, I join you very excited that you know, finally the biggest football transfer of the summer has been uh, completed with, of course, Mexico's Edson Alvarez mm. uh, arriving into West Ham. Yeah, there's a lot on his shoulders because at the moment, I mean, we're expected to buy more players. But at the moment, um, he's our great hope because we've not really signed uh, anybody else. And, of course, we've got rid of a lot of really good players. Uh, another South American, Manuel Lanzini, has gone back to his uh, homeland to play for uh, River Plate. And we've uh, we've lost, obviously, Declan Rice and... Uh, um, Gianluca Scamacca has gone back to uh, to Italy to play for Atalanta. I mean, so, I, uh, I would think that there's quite a few Mexican players, you know, waiting for the call, given that there's only been 11 Mexican players who've played in the Premier League and four have played uh, for, for West Ham. So I, I think that, you know, the the, uh, the ongoing friendship that uh, that we have, Martin, you and me, <laughs> we should put to, we should put a task to getting West Ham to come on pre, mid or post season tours. Uh, of Mexico with us as uh, as a special cor- corporate and in inverted commas guests. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, we should absolutely. Now, um, looking, yes, fixes exactly. Looking at the news from Latin America this week, obviously the big story is the assassination of Fernando Villavicencio in um, Ecuador, who was something of an anti-corruption candidate, wasn't he, in the presidential election? Yeah, look, by some distance, the biggest story of the week and, and an absolute shock on on Wednesday with the Ecuador election just over a week away. And uh, uh, Vicencio, an outspoken critic for a long time, many, many years uh, of crime, corruption and especially recently collusion between government and uh, an organized uh, crime was gunned down after a campaign rally in Quito on, on Wednesday. And it really sort of I mean, uh, it really points to. The, the descent that Ecuador is currently uh, experiencing in terms of, uh, you know, crime and, and social order. Ecuador, historically, one of the safest countries uh, in the region. Um, uh, and recently it's uh, been really taken over by cartels to the extent that some people have described it as a gold rush uh, for, the, for the international uh, criminal groups to the extent that the statistic of all statistics is that the murder rate has quadrupled in the last two years. Wow. It's unbelievable. And and uh, what effect will this have on the election as such? I mean, clearly the election goes on. Um, is there is there another figure to replace uh, Villavicencio? I mean, Villavicencio was he, he was unlikely to win anyway. He was sort of middle of because this is the first round where you've got loads of different candidates. So, um, you know, in double figures of candidates and then the top two would have gone on to the. Uh, to, to the second round. So, um, you know, it's by no means is it just about to happen and then a, a done deal in, in Ecuador. But 
it sort of really magnifies the situation which everybody, you know, which was top of everybody's list, which is about uh, safety and order in the country, given that this is the first ever assassination of a presidential candidate in Ecuador. Sadly, I think, as always, you know, you think with politics, you get about five minutes of high ground and then everybody descends into, you know, how can we use this for our own particular ends and I think we've lost the uh, line there. But, ah, there we go. We're back. Uh, conciliatory. Hello, hello. Yeah, hello, first, yes, we're just about here. We're lost. Really conciliatory. And that. <laughs> it's one of those communication problems. <laughs> we've, we've lost you uh, twice there. I think I, we. Uh, I think we're going to dial him back, Martin. So yeah, dial him back. Are. I think that's probably the thing to do. Um, if you're interested in the uh, four Mexican players who've played for uh, for West Ham, I was trying to think as um, as John said. Uh, there, that, that uh, four of the 11 Mexicans who played in the Premier League have actually played for West Ham. I remembered obviously Chico is the recent one, uh, Javier Hernandez, mm. um, who was a cheeky little forward. Obviously, his better days were at uh, were at Manchester United. Then I remembered uh, Javier Mascherano. I'd forgotten that he, you know, who came in that uh, joint deal with Tevez. I'd forgotten that he was uh, a Mexican. Uh, but the other ones, uh, Guillermo Franco, who I don't remember that much. So that's me being um, being at fault there. And Raúl Jiménez, who I um, who I do remember, who was playing for West Ham. But we do have a new Mexican, uh, Edson Alvarez. So um, yeah, but there have been. Uh, I'm just looking at the history of Mexican players in the. Uh, let's go back to uh, John, um, who is back with us. Uh, John, you're back. Hello. Sorry about yes, that. Yes, hello. That's all right. It's not your fault. It's, uh, it's communication breakdowns happen all the time. Um, and it did give me the opportunity to check up on the four West Ham players, uh, sorry, the four Mexicans who have played for West Ham, um, who, you know, a couple of them didn't have their better days at West Ham, but did, uh, no, did join no, us. No, they certainly but, didn't. No, they did join us later on. Uh, but Mascarano, what a fierce midfielder he was. And uh, Hernandez had a couple of good games for us. Meanwhile, let's uh, let's talk about Mexico uh, itself. And uh, it's the anniversary, isn't it, of uh, an absolutely frightful um, sort of accident. But when you say accident, uh, it's usually to do with, you know, it's a little bit like uh, that Bhopal uh, incident in India. Uh, it's uh, basically it's polluted the water. It's caused all sorts of problems uh, for people uh, in Mexico. And there's a, a real well, an environmental disaster, basically. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things that actually people are still rallying against because it's not reached the international news, given the severity of what took place nine years ago. You say one of the worst environmental uh, disasters in, in Mexican history, Mexico's history, where Grupo Mexico, uh, the, one of the biggest copper miners in Mexico, their Buena Vista copper mine in Sonora spilled 11 million gallons of to toxic waste into the Bacanuchi and the Sonora uh, rivers to... Uh, which, you know, we know, you know, the kinds of things that happen. Takes place, contaminate waterways, devastate ecosystems, kill livestock, and of course, killing residents to the extent that, you know, testing continues to show nine years after the event, incredibly high levels of lead, arsenic, and cadmium in, in area residents, in the bodies of them, and of course, in water supplies. Um, arsenic, get this, 
arsenic levels in uh, residents of these uh, communities surrounding the rivers are 1,100% uh, over safe levels. Yeah. Uh, and what the greatest issue, of course, always with these things is impunity is a perception that the rich and the powerful always get away with crimes in Latin America and, and Mexico. And it leaves 22,000 people affected with their only source of water uh, completely destroyed. And up until the present day, zero, absolutely zero accountability. Yeah. And it, it doesn't I mean, even though, you know, the issue has risen to the surface again because of the anniversary, it's still there's still it's still unlikely that there's going to be any resolution which is going to satisfy the people who've whose water supply and uh, lives basically have been uh, polluted. Yeah, they have no voices. And actually, you know, the reason why um, I, I only came across it by accident and I've sort of be, uh, been in a bit of a rabbit hole of Sonora communities and their voices for the last uh, couple of months. And it's, you know, they're desperate to keep the the story in the national and, you know, at best, if they possibly can, international news media, because that's the only possible leverage that they that they have with this, you know, anniversary rolling around again. But in terms of both government and, you know, the corporation responsible for the leak, you know, as far as they're, they're concerned, it took place and and they move on and there's absolutely no mention of redress, you know, in anything that they uh, that they are doing for these 22,000, you know, humble, uh, poor agrarian uh, individuals living in you know, semi remote communities with which with nobody to speak on their behalf. Shocking, really shocking. Sometimes you put a headline on these, uh, you know, you send me an idea of some of the stories in Latin America and you put a headline on, which I find difficult to believe. So I'll just read this one out. The helicopters used by Pinochet's death squads in Chile to dump people into the Pacific. This is one of the helicopters used by Pinochet's death squads in Chile to dump people into the Pacific has turned up at a recreational space in Sussex. <laughs> I want to know yeah, I mean, where Pinochet's death helicopters turn up in Sussex. What's happened? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that would be funny if it wasn't so unfunny. Of course, now that you read it, it sounds you know outlandish and, and ridiculous. But you, you, this is completely true. For those who don't remember, Pinochet was military dictator of Chile between 1973 and uh, 1990, close friend um, and ally of uh, Margaret Thatcher, especially during the Falklands War, uh, who deposed the elected leader Salvador Allende on the 11th of September 1973. Uh, Chileans had forever complained that they had a 9-11 before the other 9-11. And during the dictatorship, one of the ways in which they sowed he, his, uh, his junta uh, sowed fear during the dictatorship was by, of course, torturing, disappearing and killing opponents. But most infamously of all, they would take uh, you know, the intelligentsia, doctors, musicians, uh, poets, political opponents on death flights. They would put them, they would beat them, uh, drug them, torture them and then take them in a helicopter, fly them over the Pacific, um, sometimes tying them to uh, to concrete blocks and throw them into the Pacific where they knew and this is the most horrendous thing of all, that this process was not just intended to kill their opponents, but it was also intended to make their remains completely inaccessible, you know, to future investigation and, and study as these people were just dropped into the middle of the ocean. And now this helicopter become a big thing because it's been traced by the relatives of the dead uh, to an amusement park in Horsham, 
Sussex, where the empty fuselage and the tail still remained. It was sold to a, to a UK, to an English company in 2004. In 2014, the remaining parts were put in this woodland, um, and it's been sort of a play thing there for kids ever since, where kids are called to, you know, run to the chopper in the middle of the, the woods. And the, the relatives are now, of course, you know, understandably, I think, calling for the helicopter to be returned to Chile and to be an artifact of memory in, um, uh, as regards to civil population, mm. you know, reminding them what the horrors that took place during that administration. Yes, I, well, I can understand that. Um, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, I'm assuming the kids who are playing there in Horsham um, aren't aware that it's one of Pinochet's death helicopters. I mean, it's not being advertised. It's not like a ride no. that's being advertised yeah, as, not, as that. It's just, no, there's no sense. It's coincidence. You know, it's coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. There's no sense at all that the owners knew or that it's been played up at all. It's just yeah. one of those things that they've traced it to it. And just this fuselage has been there. Nobody knew. You know, they knew that it belonged to the Chilean Air Force, but nobody knew up until now that exactly what it was used for. A bizarre story. Bizarre story. Um, as we've uh, we've mentioned football, of course, it's the uh, Women's World Cup taking place at the moment. England are now through to the quarterfinals to play uh, Colombia, who've sort of defensively looked quite good. I saw the match against Jamaica. And um, they just scored the one goal because both Colombia and Jamaica have been sort of um, concentrating on defence. And for once, they both had to come out. Um, they're not going to be they're not going to be easy for uh, England to uh, to be. What's uh, what's the general feeling in Latin America about whether Colombia have a chance of going you know further than Brazil did and Argentina? Very, very much uh, the sense of a sense of expectation, not uh, trepidation. Um, there is no fear in Latin America um, generally, but also in in Colombia. What this young, talented, um, highly motivated side can can achieve, in particular, because you know in the Germany game, it's not just that they beat Germany; it's that they scored against Germany. The Germans came back, and then they won with a goal in the 98th uh, minute. You know, this side are tough solid they are you know mentally right up there and but they also do have as you say on top of their uh you know their strong defensive bent which the irish women's team didn't like so much to the extent they abandoned mm. a friendly with them before the That's world right, cup yeah. they also do have creative uh magical players this side as um as their captain Catalina Uzmer said you know they're not just here to beat germany they're here to win the world cup added to which you know, if you look at their fans, this is almost a home World Cup uh, for the Colombians. They have had the fans of the tournament. There is a huge Colombian diaspora um, in Australia, and every match they have uh, they have played in, the stands have been full of uh, Colombian uh, support. So there is, you know, there is a real expectation that you know to get to the final and to potentially win this, that they have to beat the best. But there's there's absolutely no sense of there's zero inferiority complex as regards the the match that's taking place uh, later today. So we'll see how it plays out. But England have certainly got a match on their hands. Yeah, they absolutely have. It's uh, live on Talk Sport at 11.30. I think the crowd's liable to be 50-50 because there is, there's quite a large uh, British expat community in uh, Australia as well. Um, but there's also a lot of Australians that keep singing Anybody But England. Right, there will be that, yeah. Oh, well, we'll see how it goes. Um, should be an interesting match. It certainly won't be, I, I doubt that it'll be a, a walkover like the match against China was. Um, it'll be uh, much closer. I mean, we 
struggled through very much against Nigeria. We, we were the the lesser team. They were they were the better team than us. Um, so um, so we'll see. Looking forward to that. 11:30 this morning on uh, Talk Sport. Uh, as always, thanks uh, ever so much, John. Do appreciate it, and we'll talk again soon. No problem. Take care. Excellent. There we go. John Bonfilio joining us from Campeche in Mexico. Uh, we'll take.